0: Verse twelve, which is very interesting. Um, so, a few words of introduction. Today we're going to. <clears throat> today we're going to look at uh, verses twelve through fourteen. Uh, verses twelve through fourteen. In the Upanishad are closely parallel to verses nine through eleven. And um, they are intentionally, um, what's the word? Uh, not ironic. Uh, They intentionally sort of shock us in the in the first of the three verses, and then the second verse of the, of the set of three uh, kind of uh, says something we're used to, and third verse re- resolves everything. Um, so so let's begin. Um, So in verse 12, we find the statement uh, paradoxical, that is, uh, they're paradoxical. So in verse 12, this Upanishad says, Andhang tamak pravishanti bhuti upasati. So let's talk about this. Uh, this, of course, is exactly parallel to verse number nine, Andhang tamak pravishanti. So, if you look at the first line of verse 9 and the first line of verse 12, just one word has changed. So, in verse 9, it says, Pravishanti, they enter into andhang sort of blindness and darkness. Uh, blind, dark, because darkness, of course, makes one blind. So, they enter into blind. Darkness or blindness and darkness, who, yea, those who avidya mupasate, those who cultivate, those who dedicate themselves to avidya. Vidya means knowledge, avidya means unknowledge or ignorance, and often uh avidya is simply a word for the material world. The material world is often simply called the ignorance. And so so the first verse, of the set of three, nine through 11 are a set of three verses. Uh, Nine through 11, 12 through 14 are a parallel set of three verses. So in verse nine and in verse 12, uh, the first line is, Normal. It's like, sure, that's what I expect to find in a Vedic Upanishad. No surprise that uh, those who cultivate uh, avidya, ignorance, enter into uh, darkness and and blindness. Um, So that's something we would actually expect to read. But then it's the second line which uh, surprises us actually, the second line of, of the first verse of the set. The word anda just to uh, it can uh, it can be an adjective meaning blind, or it can simply mean darkness, blindness. So anyway, so, andam those who cultivate avidya, ignorance, enter into a blind darkness, or in 12, those who cultivate asambhutim enter into blind darkness. So what is Um I'll give you a very literal translation. Uh, actually, what I'll do, I think also, is I think I will... Uh, let's get Prabhupada's version here and I can tell you exactly how Prabhupada translates it. Prabhupada translates that as asambutim as demigods. Those who are engaged in the worship of demigods enter into the darkest region of ignorance. So, literally, like, like in a very, very literal sense, what Sambhuti actually means, first I'll give you the, uh, sum means complete or together like Sankirtan. Some just is a prefix, just meaning complete or together. So, and Bhuti actually means uh, existence. Existence, it's from the Sanskrit root Bhu, which means to exist. And of course we still have the B from Bhu or Bhavati. Bhuti in the English word "be" to be. Uh, so it can also mean a manifestation of might, a great or superhuman power. So I, I, I want to get to the uh, the real root meaning here, which is that um, it's like complete existence. Bhu literally means to exist or to be, and so bhuti existence or being. And uh, in Sanskrit, you can make a noun out of verbal roots by adding the feminine suffix t. So, bhu and then bhuti, like for example, shruti, smriti, bhakti, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, here we have the word bhuti, sambhuti, and so complete existence. And then asambhuti, asambhuti means incomplete existence, or that which is not actually the greatest power. Which Prabhupada translates it as demigods. So I think it's good to, for you, the uh, student of these literatures, to know Prabhupada's translation is not literal but not wrong. It's We can follow the train of logic here. The logic is that some putin, full existence, complete existence, with, therefore means great power, powerful existence. Uh, refers to Krishna ultimately. And then asambhuti in this context means incomplete existence or existence which is not all-powerful and Prabhupada takes that to mean the demigods. So andam tamak pravishanti jaya asambhutim upasate then tato even farther than that even more than that eva they enter into darkness, those who are engaged in the Sambhuti. Sambhuti, in verse 12, last line, just means in, within the Sambhuti. So this is very interesting. So what we have here is a paradox. This is very intentionally a paradox because if you start out by saying those who cultivate ignorance, avidya, uh, enter into blind darkness, sure, that's what the Vedas, at least the philosophical portion, the the spiritual portions of the Vedas, that's what they teach, no surprise. But the surprise is that if you enter into blind darkness by worshipping, let's say, avidya or asambhuti, meaning unknowledge or incomplete existence, literally asambhuti, Then you would expect that if you worship Sambhuti, the complete existence, or Vidya, real knowledge, then you get all the rewards. But the second line of this verse surprises you because you go into darkness, blind darkness, by worshiping ignorance or unknowledge or incomplete existence. But if you worship knowledge or complete existence, you're even worse off. So th- there's the um, there's the the puzzle. There's the mystery. What in the world does this mean? What in the world does this mean? And th- and therefore I said that it's it's meant to like wake you up. This is what I call a shastric speed bump. It's a, you know you've got to slow down. You can't speed read through this because if you're actually paying attention at this point, and let's say you're reading this for the first time. And, and you're paying attention, you're going to stop and say, what in the world does that mean? So let's see how that gets explained. Let's see how the paradox gets resolved. So if we look at verse 13, which is exactly parallel to verse 10, again, uh, just the, the, those one or two words are changed. Otherwise, it says exactly the same thing. So verse 13 says, Anyad Eva Ahu. Ahu means they say, and this is a common thing we find it in the Gita also. So whenever the 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 Shastra says they say, and if you ask, well, who who are they? It means people that know. They like they say it gets pretty hot here in the summer. And so what you mean by that is people who know, they say it's it gets hot here. So vahu they say that indeed something else, Sambhavat, from the, now Sambhava here is an exact uh, synonym of Sambhuti. Because from the verb Bhu, to be, you can form a noun by adding Ti, bhūti as in Bhakti, Shruti, Smriti, and so on. Or another way to make a noun is you, well, I we'll won't go into all the details, but Sambhava. Sambhava and sambhuti are exactly the same thing. They're just forming the noun in different ways from the, from the verb. So, sambhavat, from sambhava, from sambhava, that's what sambhavat means, from sambhava, from complete existence, they say, indeed, there is another understood result, because we're talking about results here. Indeed, it is another result, and anyarahur, and they say it's again a different result, a from, sambhavat, from incomplete existence. So, from complete existence, they say, indeed, there's one result. It's like in English, we would say there's one result and another result. In Sanskrit, they say another, another. That's just the way they say one or the other, or one and another. So, in, they say, indeed, one result from complete existence. They say another result from incomplete existence. And then it is said, Iti shushuma, Thus, we have heard. And of course, keep in mind, whenever this verb is used or noun, shu, this is just the perfect uh, past tense. Not perfect past the, the preterite past tense of the verb shru, to hear. So shusuma. Uh we heard. And that refers to shru. In other words, we heard from shastra, we heard from authorities, we heard from authorized sages. So thus we heard, here is said dhira from dhiras, from true sages. Thus we heard from the wise, Jadas tad bicha chakshire, those who Explained this to us, and in a sense, it means who made us see it. Chaksh it can mean to see, so be the verb like chakshu. Chakshuru Militang jana, right? Uh, what is it? Omagiana um, tmirandasya, that verse and chakshur, the my eyes, un um, milita, my eyes were open. So, chaksh has the idea of seeing. And so vicha Chakshire means to explain something, teach something so that somebody sees it. That's the idea. So thus we heard from the Diras, the real sages who explained that to us. And of course, if we look back at verse 10, same thing. The last line of 10 and 13 are the same words. So at this point, if you read verse Twelve, and then you read verse thirteen, which says, "Yeah, you know the uh, you get one result from Sambhava, complete existence. Indeed, another result from incomplete existence. Thus, we've heard from the real sages who explain this to us. So, what's the difference in result? Anyat, and then anyat. What? What's the difference? If you go to the previous verse, you would think, well, the difference is that the people that uh, cultivate incomplete existence go into blind darkness, terrible, and the people who cultivate uh who are dedicated to um, complete existence, uh, they go even further into hell or into blind darkness. That seems to be the difference. It's, it seems to be like a no-win-no-win no win situation, like damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you cultivate... Complete existence, you go into blind darkness. If you cultivate a complete existence, you go even further into blind darkness. It's, and again, this is exactly parallel. This verse 13 is exactly parallel to verse 10, which says that indeed one result from knowledge or by knowledge. Uh, and they say, they say indeed one result by knowledge. They say another result by unknowledge in Sanskrit, avidya, unknowledge, ignorance. That's what we have heard from the sages who explain this to us. So if you just look at verses 9 and 10 and then 12 and 13, you could become a real pessimist because, you know, it's damned if you do and even more damned if you don't. And so there seems to be no way out here. And of course, the third verse of each set, namely number 11, talking about vidya and avidya, and verse 13, talking about Sambhuti and Asambhuti, or Sambhava and Asambhava, which are synonyms, uh, resolves it. It's apparent. In other words, it's meant to be a puzzle, but there is a solution to the puzzle. There actually is an answer, which explains everything. And so in verse 13, it said, eat the, uh, no, uh, 14, verse 14, Sambhutincha binashincha. So here, we're just using synonyms. Instead of, uh, we started with Sambhuti and then went to Sambhava in verse 13. Now in verse 14, again, they're the same word, just formed differently. We're back to Sambhuti. And for, and we get a synonym. Instead of a Sambhuti or a Sambhava, incomplete existence, words that we found in um, 13, now we get a direct synonym, which is Vinasham. Now Vinasham means the destruction or the perishing, Vinasham. I'll give you some synonyms from the Sanskrit dictionary for Vinasham uh it means utter loss utter loss perdition barely the which in english is perdition annihilation destruction decay death removal so it's complete loss barely the total so that's very interesting because now we know you see if we're reading this as scholars and we're be, and we're read, trying to read carefully then what we now know is that asambhuti, incomplete existence, is very seriously incomplete in the sense that it actually ends. Its existence which just ends. That's how incomplete it is. It's, it's, it's incomplete in terms of duration of time. And so vinasha, which means utter loss, complete loss or annihilation, is what was meant by sambhuti uh, i'm sorry Sambhūti and a sambhava so um, so in verse 14 it is said sambhuti cha so both complete existence and complete destruction which if you think about it really is the opposite of existence because the opposite of existence is non-existence. The opposite of of existing is to be destroyed. So, it said one who knows both together. One who knows both together. Yasad-veda-ubayam. Ubaya means both, saha together. So, one who knows both together both complete existence or real existence and non-existence or destruction or, or complete loss, then Vina Shana by destruction, crossing over death, by de- which is very interesting, by loss, by, by destruction, crossing over death, sambutya by complete existence, Amritam Ashnute, one enjoys the immortal. So let's look at Prabhupada's translation and see how he translates this. Uh, I think it's not going to be a literal translation, but it's certainly going to be a translation which gets to the essence of things. Very long purports. So Prabhupada translates this verse as, one should know perfectly the personality of Godhead Sri Krishna and his transcendental name, form, qualities, and pastimes. So how do you get that just from the word Sambhuti? Because that's uh, one and a half lines to translate one word Sambhuti. And from Prabhupada's point of view, that's what complete existence is. That's what complete existence is. It means... To know complete existence means to know the personality of God as Sri Krishna and His transcendental name, form, qualities, and pastimes. So Prabhupada, as he said himself, is giving the purport, the meaning in the translation. So one should know that as well as the temporary material creation, again, that's just a translation for Vinasha, which literally just means the destruction or the loss as well as the temporary material creation with its temporary demigods, men, and animals. So the temporary material creation with its temporary demigods, men, and animals is a translation of the Sanskrit word binasha. And so ultimately, ultimately, that's what is binasha. That's what destruction is. That is the set of things that will be destroyed. So when one knows these, he surpasses death and the ephemeral cosmic manifestation with it, and in the eternal kingdom of God, he enjoys his eternal life of bliss and knowledge. So uh, in the eternal kingdom of God, he enjoys his eternal life of bliss and knowledge, translates Amrita Mashnute. He enjoys the immortal or that which Amrita. So Um, But now, going back to verses 12 and 13, um, if by cultivating both, you get this supreme reward, you transcend death, and you enjoy uh, the undying, then why did it say that one goes even in verse 12? that one goes even deeper into ignorance by cultivating some bhuti. And so I think think the only real logical way to, to solve this puzzle, because it is a puzzle, it's meant to be a puzzle. I think the only logical way to solve this is found in the simple Sanskrit word saha or ubayam saha, both together. That's the key to solving this, because again, in verses 9 through 11, you get the exact parallel. It's the same thing, just using 9 through 11 are exactly the same. It's just different words are used. You have vidya and avidya instead of sambhuti and asambhuti, or sambhava and uh, vinasha. So you just substitute these words. Otherwise, it's exactly the same. So in both cases, the key is really ubhayangsaha. So knowing both not just one together. So let's see what the problem would be if you only knew one of these. Let's say, let's go back to verse 12, where it says, one who worships or cultivates a or in verse nine, avidya, unknowledge. The problem here is that someone is just an ordinary materialist, they just devote themselves to the material world, to ignorance. Ignorance of the soul, ignorance of God. They just devote themselves to the material world. So of course they're going into a dark place because it is because they're just cultivating dead matter. And let's say, for example, the second line in verse nine, or uh which says that you go even further into darkness by by devoting yourself to uh knowledge in verse nine or complete existence, sambhuti, this the supreme existence in verse twelve. Because let's say you devote yourself to some to God, let's say you devote yourself to God, but you're completely ignorant of the material world. Uh, you're gonna end up in a very, very bizarre situation. For one thing, you know nothing about yourself. You don't understand your own psychology. You don't understand what your attachments are. So you may mistake your attachments for some kind of spiritual emotion. I mean, to give one example, the famous example of Rishya Sringa. Um, he was a sage, and as a young boy, he was raised by his father. And his father, who's was, who was a Vedic sage, lived in the forest, very austere, was so determined that my child won't fall down into Grihasta life and all that, that he was so determined to keep his child as a sort of a pure celibate sage, that he never told his son that there are two genders. His son had no idea there were two genders uh, we do know there are two genders, most of us. So, um, so what happened is in in a nearby kingdom, there was a drought and the sages, the Royal priests told the King that the only way to stop this drought and save the kingdom and save the people is to perform this very difficult Vedic sacrifice we are not qualified to perform. The only person that actually has the power to pull this off is a young sage named Rishasringa. Of course, but the king was informed that it's going to be really difficult to to get him to come and do this because his father will not let him leave the ashram. So they came up with a plan. They found very beautiful young ladies in the kingdom. As in every kingdom, you know, in every gene pool, some young ladies are very pretty. And so they found these very pretty young girls and they sent them on a mission. So the girls, they were also intelligent, they were clever. And so they waited until the father had gone off to collect firewood or fruits. He was, you know, he wasn't gonna come back for hours. And they just kind of waltzed into the ashram and Rishas is in the Mahabharata. And so Sringa greeted them and said, because, you know, didn't see many people out there in the wilderness, so he's happy to see them. He said, hello, gentlemen, welcome. And he thought they, their anatomy was a little strange. Their chests were a little different than, you know, he'd seen. And and they're sort of the shape of their body. So he thought, well, you know, people are different. So he thought they were just these young men who were, um, you know, attractive young men, but just their bodies were a little shaped a little differently than his. So when he greeted them, he was very nice and offered them hospitality. And so they made a big show of being grateful. Oh, that's so nice of you. That is so kind of you. Let us embrace you. So they embraced him and they, uh, they really embraced him. And so Rishya Sringa said, this is so amazing that I've never felt so much pleasure embracing a man before. And so he, um, he just, uh, he was really happy. Have all these beautiful young girls embracing him. He was very happy. He thought they were young men, but he thought, This is, I feel so happy embracing you. Anyway, to make a long story short, they got their men. Um, these beautiful young girls did bring Stringa back to the city with him, with them, the royal city. And of course, his, her father, his father found out too late. And he came to the city, did the sacrifice, and saved the kingdom. So there's a point of naivete, which is kind of going too far. In the case of Rishya he couldn't defend himself. I mean, luckily, those girls uh, wanted him for a good purpose. But what if they wanted him for some other purpose? And so someone that has no knowledge of the material world uh can't really can't really defend themselves so um so one who cultivates knowledge of the eternal but has no idea, another thing is because I mean we're all we all have some lingering remnants of material desires, and if you know nothing about this world, then you cannot distinguish what your material or spiritual desires are. It's like, like, you know, sometimes very young devotees. I remember in the early days, I don't know if it still goes on, you get some young brahmachari who, uh, you know, is is attracted to some young brahmacharini in the temple room. And so he, when he goes to Lee Kirtan, that girl is present. He jumps higher than ever uh, thinking, actually, with very little true understanding that that women are kind of beautiful young women are attracted to men that jump very high or who you know play the drum or you know lead kirtan or something it's and of course the woman is just thinking Haha, that fool is attracted otherwise he wouldn't be making a monkey out of himself and but he's attracted so that's good so let's let's work on that so anyway so all these things are going on. Or do you find the same thing? I remember young women devotees, they can suddenly, you know, if, if there's some good looking, unmarried sankirtan leader, suddenly they realize that all they've ever wanted in millions of lifetimes is to go out and sell books. And so, so you have these situations that people don't really know themselves, don't really understand their own psychology. They're just not experienced. They're not bad people. They're just inexperienced. Then you can't really save yourself. You can't really you can't really figure out what's going on inside of you emotionally. So, um, and so ultimately, someone who has no knowledge of the material world can be even more degraded. Can become more degraded than someone, let's say, who is not so spiritual, but really is kind of streetwise. I mean, they, they know what the material world is, and therefore, to some extent, they can avoid really serious problems. Let's say, for example, someone that has no idea that there is such a thing as an addictive drug. They actually don't know that there are addictive drugs. And so someone could say, oh, here's something nice you can take and, you know, smoke this, drink that. So I think it's easy to see that if you only knew sort of, you only had spiritual ideas in your head and you're just really ignorant and naive about the material world, you could become very seriously degraded. And so therefore, I think the key to solving this, this puzzle, the puzzle of verses 10 through 12 and verses uh I'm sorry, 9 through 11, verses 9 through 11 and 12 through 4, the secret to solving this puzzle actually comes in the last verse. The words, one who knows both together. And this is very interesting because what it shows is that for a complete spiritual life, you really need to understand this world you really do need to understand this world and, uh, you know, at a certain stage in life, my own life, to be honest, reveal my own terrible state that at a certain point in my own life, uh, I became very interested in, hopefully not too interested in, uh, trying to understand the world history and psychology and uh, you know, and you can understand these things through literature through in many ways. And so, And so I think in my own life, I've felt that knowledge, actually studying, has uh, fortified my spiritual life, has made me more steady and uh, wiser and ultimately stronger in my spiritual life, not neglecting the spiritual side, but again, one who knows both of these together. So I think that is the key to solving the mystery or the paradox of these two sets of three verses. So uh, no questions, then um, very good. So thank you all very much for listening. Uh, Oh, question did come in. Oh, they're coming in on WhatsApp. I am a multimedia. Guru. So if you're looking for a multimedia guru, let's see. Uh, what if someone who is not as fond of studying but still is very aware of the world's true nature? Yeah, that's fine and you know, if you can figure it out, some scholars are the most impractical people on earth. So if, if one somehow becomes wise about what this world really is doesn't have to be academic. Can they make spiritual advancement without knowing as much about specifics of Shastra our philosophy? uh again, you have to have both together uh if you're aware of the world's true nature uh you can't really you, see, you can't really be aware of only one because if you know the material world fairly well, you sort of you know you've lived life and you have some you know you have life experience. but if you don't know that you're an eternal soul, if you don't know who Krishna is, then you can't ultimately understand this world because what is this world ultimately? What is it really? If you understand this world and don't understand the spiritual, you may just want to try to enjoy this world in the most clever way possible. So to understand what the world really is and to become ultimately detached from it, we have to know what the spiritual is. That doesn't have to be academic, but it has to be knowledge. Okay, so I guess we'll stop here. Thank you all very much. Um, just like the Terminator came back, so the theology Terminator is back. Actually, that sounds kind of vain. Okay, never mind that. But anyway, the uh, we're gonna have. Let's just say we're gonna have more classes again. Okay. Uh, Hare Krishna, everybody.